Shumrabyug. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Collecting Issues, where this week we'll be taking a look at East of West, a 2013 uh, image comic series by Jonathan Hickman and Nick Dragoda. We'll be focusing primarily on Volume 1, Collecting Issues 1 to 5 of that series. Only because that's all, all I've read. That's all you've read. Yeah. Yes, don't worry. We won't, we won't overexpand today, Michael. Don't spoil it on me. Yeah, I'll don't you worry. You. Don't you worry. Yell cowpoke. Yell, yell rustler. Yeah, you damn... Yeah, anyway, go on. Ben, look, come here, tell us. Uh, this is Image Comics. Yeah. So it's uh, it's in its own universe. It's creator It's a creator-owned projet. Tell us briefly, Ben, what bloody is it even? So basically, I think the, the best way to break this down is what if America never settled the Wild West? What if it was still the Wild West, frontier town, etc., etc., etc.? Um, <laughs> Great podcasting, Ben. <laughs> Top-class stuff there. No, we take a look at... Basically, this is America in the year 2064, I think is the the concept. And the events of the Civil War, the events of the different warring nations, the settling and civilization of the West never really took place. They played out differently. Yeah, they've played out completely differently. All the different races that we saw enter into the great American melting pot, African-Americans, Asian-Americans, etc. Native Americans. Native Americans have never come to fruition. The Texans. They, They have remained separate states entities republics um, kind of seven so nations on. exactly seven nations a if you will seven nation a seven army, nation if army you if you will uh, that's exactly dun, what's dun, happened so it's, dun, it, america has been split into seven different dun, nations dun, 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 dun. i'm just this okay as you keep going dun, um dun, basically what dun, happens dun, once dun, once the dust settles on all this you have seven basic nations you have the union yeah. which is a bit of a mega city 2000 ad vibe kind of civilization okay um, we have the confederacy yeah. which is obviously the, ra- the racist cowboy end of things yeah. uh, for that entire civilization we have the kingdom of new orleans which is where all the african-americans went yeah um, at the end of their time coming to america we have the mao dynasty or the people's republic <laughs> of, america. Um, of america which is where all the chinese uh, immigrants went yeah and um, we have then the republic of texas because texas stands by itself yeah um and well, then the one that's probably most interesting throughout this story and what provides a lot of the mystic undertones and stuff like that is the endless nation which are where all the various tribes of the native americans came together under one nation um interestingly though ben although you've gone out of your way there to explain those seven nations they don't form an army a seven nation army as no it were. they don't but also this comic book starts in media res yes absolutely and it takes quite a while to figure all that out you, you i mean you don't and probably shouldn't know that before you start reading. Well, there isn't a splash page that says in the year 2626, these are the seven nations that exist on the planet New Texas. Apparently, Jonathan Hickman really wanted to include one of his classic flowcharts. And Dragota was like, no, <laughs> we're, no we're not, not a, doing that. Not doing a flowchart. <laughs> we're not doing a flowchart. Um, anyone who's familiar with uh, Jonathan Hickman's work is probably familiar with his love of, of charting information. Anybody who read his Fantastic Four run or any of his multiverse run for Marvel will be very familiar that he loves to issue a little a little map. A little of- Primer. His, his times, his little primers. And Dragota was like, nah, not doing that. Not doing that. But um, I suppose the central crux of this is is it's an apocalyptic narrative um, mm. and it features heavily around the four horsemen or three horsemen and one who <laughs> won't won't act the role. Um, so the central protagonist of volume one, at least, is very much death mm. of the four horsemen. Um, or not of the four horsemen. Or of not no longer of the four horsemen. He is seeking revenge for some slight brought against him um, in previous years, and that's the in medias res element of what we've been reading. And also, Ben, 
if you know I've only read this recently I'd never heard of it even before I can't believe you haven't heard of it I don't know I, I've, got, I've got my head in the sand very successful in a lot comic. of ways I'm like an ostrich it's to be an Amazon series I'm like an is it mm. I'm like an unusually attractive ostrich you are anyway that's, thanks not, that's not untrue <laughs> what am I saying <laughs> I um, I'd never heard of it so I of course didn't know that the white cowboy was death that's much more entertaining as you it was quite the reveal mm. not the most shocking of reveals no. but i didn't know that because he travels with two other characters one of whom is completely white and one of whom is completely black yes and a lot of the kind of metaphysical characters in this the most powerful characters are monocolored Yes, any anybody that has uh, wields significant power is not human and is usually marked out as such by a huge color shift. For example, the four horsemen that we deal with in this series are a little bit different from your traditional biblical horsemen. Um, you have your classics of war and famine, but then we've replaced pestilence or pollution or whatever you want to call it with conquest. Conquest, yeah. Um, Warhammer Conquest, the collectible series yeah so there's a bunch of little figurines and they go around and wreak havoc no i'm kidding um but conquest is blue war is red and famine is green or mm. yellow yellow green um and death is supposed to be black mm -hmm. but what makes this interesting is we start with the resurrection of the three horsemen who remain although once again not abundantly clear what's going on not abundantly clear it's cyclical the the apocalypse narrative that we deal with in in this story is cyclical mm. if it doesn't happen they have to return to death or some yeah, realm beyond death and they have to come back and try again yeah um which is interesting it leads for interesting stakes in a plot line because they can fail and that's what gives you they're not as inevitable as the biblical as characters seem to be but they apparently this event that happened prior to death changing color because he does change color he goes from a black rider to a pale rider um, which is a traditional country and western way of looking at the the figure of death. If you've ever listened to any Johnny Cash song ever, mm -hmm. um, it's a pale rider and behold. Isn't the pale rider from the Bible? The pale rider is from the Bible, but he's also the black rider occasionally. It depends on which version you're reading or which one you're dealing with. But he, I suppose, what sells this story is that death refuses to do his job anymore because he's fallen in love. Yeah, he's fallen in love with a lady. Although once again, we don't really know that he seems to be hunting someone down. Yes, we don't know that when we begin because we are very much in medias res, and I think mm -hmm. that's what makes it such a compelling story when you first read it, mm -hmm. is that you have no idea what's going on, and it, it it is quite. There's enough characterization, there's enough action to keep you invested, even though you may not be entirely comfortable with what you're. Yeah, like, what's going on? Yeah, what's going on? Who's this guy? Why is he white? And this is a real image comics trick for a lot of creator-owned things because they really do get to do their own thing as they go along. But um, it turns out that the three horsemen took great uh, umbrage to this uh, falling in love malarkey yeah, they're that gonna death got up to, to and they had to kill him because they missed their window to bring about the apocalypse. So they had to kill him to return him to death so they could start the cycle again. That's why when we open on these three new horsemen coming out of the ground, they said, he's not here. Something's wrong. Mm. He's not here. He survived somehow. Because he survived somehow. Exactly. So he, he turned from white to black. He somehow, to yeah, something has happened. I don't think he's the full manifestation of what he should be. I think he's a half manifestation of the horsemen. Um, and I think that's a whole thing. The two that he travels with are Crow and Wolf. And they, they're a fascinating pair. They're really fun to read. I don't know about you, Michael, but I really enjoy... 
um, reading the exploits of Wolf and Crow. There are very few exploits of them in this in this particular. In this one, but the opening scene is great. I, I don't think, think they even got names, did they? They're Wolf and Crow. Well, uh, clearly they are Wolf and Crow. You clearly <laughs> know that. Those are their names. Uh, do they get those names in this collected issues? I, uh, I think know. he introduces them in the bar as Wolf and Crow. Does he? You spin your wheels there and I'll find uh, out. You find out for me. But Wolf and Crow are very important in this. A lot of the mystical, magical elements of this come from Native American folklore. And Wolf and Crow are no different. The Wolf and Crow in Native American mythology are essential. Is she in the nude, Ben? Um, she's, well, she's got a few loincloths here and there. But she's mostly but in the But she's mostly in the nip, yeah. Mm. Mostly in the nip. Um, and I think there's a fantastic blending here of different mythologies coming forward. It's nice to see all that Native American folklore really come through. There's uh, now how how is that nice rather than cultural appropriation? Um, well, it's not only that the story is set in America and Native Americans would probably suit a narrative for Western purposes. But it, I do think Jonathan Hickman is probably not excused from certain elements of cultural appropriation and the savage Indian and things. I think there's a little bit of shamanism, a little bit of that, but it is a very fantastical story. Um, but yeah, I'm sure he's not wholly excused of his tendency to be a little bit misrepresentative of Native American people. Um but it's an interesting fusion. It's it's. It, I enjoy reading those two characters in particular. They have an interesting dynamic, and I think the three, death and the two are very important. But more importantly, Wolf and Crow in Native American mythology are death and destruction. That's what they uh, follow as. And you, as a former biologist, Michael, hello, will probably know that wolves and crows have a very symbiotic relationship in the wild. Um, both are attracted to the call of the other because they sense food, at the end of the the sound so crows are often seen to fly towards wolf calls and wolves are often seen to fly towards clouds of crows hmm. not fly but run but that'd be um, much more terrifying yeah that'd be quite strange flying wolves would be very strange but um what makes this more interesting is that we see a fusion of the kind of supernatural because the four horsemen or three in this case are very lovecraftian in fact, the whole narrative of the message is very Lovecraftian. So the you're going to have to get into the message. The yeah, central man. conceit of this comic book is is the message, and the message is a a text of three parts, or is it that join together? Ben. Yes. Well, we'll find that out as we go along. But it's a text of three parts in volume one, um, written by three men spontaneously. It would seem well, it, it came seem. to them. It came to them in a vision, um, which is very Lovecraftian. And upon completing each section of the message, they died. The message is the apocalyptic um, kind of creed, I suppose, the the manual for the apocalypse. Yeah. Um, and while all these different factions are fighting politically, there are a group within the factions known as the Chosen. And the Chosen are those who have heard the message. Um, and they are a group of seven dedicated to the apocalypse. Mm. They wish Bad to blokes. see that brought about. And those are kind of the central characters outside of death that we follow around throughout their journeys in East of West. The, the Chosen have a little bit more complexity to them. Yes. Some of them are politicking their way around the situation they're political movers and shakers a lot of the time and um, mm -hmm. this this to me and it didn't occur to me until i had actually become familiar with game of thrones but it's very game of thrones there's a game of thrones esqueness to it esqueness to it um i love it for a number of reasons but number one because it's a western i love a western you really um, enjoy a western yeah but it's a techno western techno apocalyptic western sci-fi western it's almost like john hickton wrote it for me it's almost like your favorite cartoon when you were a child was presumably brave star yeah, oh, do you remember Brave Star? I do remember Brave Star, oh, yes. Brave Star was yeah. good. And a faraway Transforming planet. robot dogs. Transforming robot horse. Horse, sorry. Yeah. Mm. 
And also, I don't know if you remember Bravestar, but the baddie from Bravestar looked quite like death in this series. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that at all. He's a kind of skeleton man, a kind of white skeleton man. Now, this, the baddie in this isn't a skeleton man, but he's a uh, Tex, what was his name? Tex Rex? Doesn't matter. But he also rides a mechanical horse oh. that uh, can turn into a gliding thing. Oh, that's interesting. There are, there are lots of little little details from this that are quite similar oh, to goodness. Brave Star. Okay, me. but I suppose if you're going to mix, if you're going to mix, because Brave Star, what is Brave Star, Ben? Brave Star is sci-fi, Western, Native American mysticism combined together. A little bit of everything. A little bit of everything, and uh, then. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, not dissimilar at all. Similar yeah. designs, actually, in the big eyes and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Now, uh, the, obviously, the bad guy from Bravestar, I can't even remember his name, but he's much more obviously sinister. Yes, he's obviously evil. He's obviously evil. He's got skulls on him. and But his robot horse is very similar. But what was I saying? Um, a lot of it comes from that. A Mysticism, lot of a little bit of whatever yeah, you're having if yourself. You're gonna, if you're going to mix together sci-fi, sci-fi, Western, and Native American mysticism, you're going to end up with a lot of... Similar, almost oh, definitely. A lot of Brave Star, for example, is Native American. Yes, he's got the eyes of the wolf. He, he doesn't have anything of the crow, but he is no. He's the eyes of the hawk, ears of the wolf. Ah, we're close enough. Close enough. Is close what I'm enough. Saying. So, if you enjoy this, you'd probably enjoy the children's television program from the eighties, Brave Star. <laughs> this is a <laughs> yeah, okay, interesting recommendation here for collecting issues. This is a very Jonathan Hickman comic in a number of ways. Um, anyone that's familiar with Jonathan Hickman stuff, he loves an apocalypse narrative. Mad for the apocalypse. Mad for the apocalypse. His whole wants, desperately wants one. His whole Marvel run was about a group of uh, Illuminati, uh, a secret group of convened geniuses, either working for or against the apocalypse, steering the world towards or away from. Yeah, which is exactly what this is about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, two of the other runs that he's done would be his multiverse run with Marvel and his Fantastic Four run with Marvel, where we found the Council of Reeds. Mm. Um, which is parodied very well in Rick and Morty. Um, but yeah, Hickman, it's also uh, techno magic is what well, we're dealing with. Well, hold on a with. second. If you think about what was the name, what was the name of the white women from the Marvel run that he did? Was it White Swans? I have no idea. They were... I'm not familiar enough with it. They were a kind of tr- multiversal group of creatures. That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they were all white. And their role was sounds about right too. Their ro- oh, racist! And their role was uh, was joining together to create the apocalypse or to prevent the apocalypse. And yeah, actually, now that you mentioned, there are a lot of similarities here. It's in, a Hickman narrative. It's a Hickman thing. Another Hickman thing that he loves doing, though, is very, very unbeatably powerful characters. I think he stepped back a little bit from that. Now, within Volume 1, the horseman can be seen as unbeatable and death, to a degree, mm-hmm. is unbeatable. Well, Ben, all I've read is Season 1. and season one. Episode 1, sorry. All I've read is... Jonathan Hickman, what was the name of that character? White Swan? Focus. Oh, that's going to annoy people. Focus. That's annoying me, so it's Focus. going to annoy listeners. Um, yes, yeah, sorry. I'm going to have to look that up. Black Swan. It's Black Swan. Okay. There she is. Look at her. Ah, there she is now. Look at her now. now. She could have stepped straight out of East is West. Yeah. East, East of West. East is West. East is West. No, it's not. But, uh, yeah, I have only read volume one of East is West. You have. And East of West. I always thought East is West was a thing about 
Indian people living in London. Is there a TV show called that? I'm sure there probably is. It's definitely a play on something, but I'm not 100% sure what it is this time. Anyway, what was I saying? Uh, you were saying that Very unbeatable characters. characters. Yes. So if you hearken back to Hickman's Marvel run. Yeah. He introduced a lot of comically powerful characters. Starbrand, reintroduced in some cases. Starbrand, he introduced Starbrand, who was described as both the hammer and the anvil. Oh. Um, he introduced... Uh, the Maker? Is that one of his? The Evil Reed Richards The thing? Evil Reed Richards. He introduced the... Oh, he he loves very, 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 very... Cosmically yeah. powerful, unbeatable characters. And you're saying that that might not be true of East of Eden. But <laughs> while I was reading it, in volume one here in front of us, volume one, East of Eden by... Oh, it's wet. By Jonathan Hickman. I told you there was a wet patch on the table. Nick Dragata. Death. Swan? No. Crow and wolf. wolf. Are utterly unbeatable. Yes. They take on the entire might of the People's Republic of China of America army. And don't even... Decimate not even them. a scratch is inflicted yeah. upon them. No. Even his robot horse thing, which he stole from Bravestar, is... It's a headless robot horse. It's still. a headless robot horse stolen from Brave Cannon. Yeah, but even that yeah. is more powerful than the Chinese army. Seems to be. Seems and to be. Like they just breeze through and it's this like coming of a great unstoppable power. I think that's the important part of the narrative in terms of apocalypse. What I will say to kind of detract from that is he's not an omnipotent threat as in he can't move from one place to another at will he has to travel like anyone else yeah um, and so do the other horsemen they do seem to be limited by human action um, and this is referenced by the other three horsemen saying I hate this season and they and he says what season the one where we're stuck in the bodies of children they have to transition from one phase to the next and as the series progresses even though you've only read volume one I've they, only read volume one they do grow older um, and that's the whole purpose of it as we go along um funnily enough the, the the horsemen are not as important as you think i think a lot of the political moving and shaking is something that really defines this one for me it's interesting to see those characters interact with each other and they're very snipey and it's an uneasy alliance when it comes to the message and this kind of thing and when you have characters like bell solomon who's the representative for the republic of texas yeah and he firmly identifies himself from the beginning as a skeptic he doesn't believe in the message. Says, I don't believe in the message. No. I'm here to bear witness or mm. whatever. Um, it's kind of interesting to see all these things. I should point out that Armistice is the the central location where this kind of cabal of message believers convene. And Armistice is where the seven different nations reach their own accord to go their separate ways and live in peace. Um, as I said before, it's fascinating to see. For me, when I first read it, what really interested me was to see the way those different nations developed um for example the um the kingdom of new orleans is a monarchy right and it's the only monarchy that exists within the american seven nations um, um and the monarchy is based on a kind of tribalism black panther vibe go on um that we see as we go along so it was interesting to see again i don't know whether that would get uh, jonathan hickman in hot water i don't know if you're allowed to simply assume that black people would become a monarchy again in some kind of tribalist sense possibly oh. cultural appropriation uh, but it's also not entirely unlikely that they wouldn't return to a system that they were familiar with with regards to tribalism but it's hard to tell uh, another interesting example of that is the endless nation the endless nation after they sign the accord go into isolation for right. for over 40 years and yeah. they emerge as the most technologically advanced nation on the planet um, so they spend those 40 years developing time very 
east to west. Yeah. They spend that time developing technology far beyond anything that the other nations have. And that's where Death's horse comes from. Oh. He's... Uh, Is that from future issues? Uh, no, 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 it's there. That's Wolf and Crow provide him with the, the horse because they are members of the nation. So they have magic and technology. Yes, yes. No, well, okay, that's that's a future issues thing. Do you want me to explain that to you? Go on, but be careful. So one of the great criticisms that many people in the Endless Nation have is that they've turned their backs on the old ways. Right. Wolf and Crow are two people who have de- dedicated themselves to the old ways and that's why they have access to shamanism in that level overall the endless nation doesn't use magic in the same way right they use technology over magic they've chosen to go with technology over magic right um, and one of the criticisms and what causes a lot of the infighting within the endless nation is you have elders who want to return to the old ways and you have younger people who want to further push technology um, but again one of the even more fascinating things is the people's republic of china of america um, <laughs> where it's the mao dynasty um, in its own thing. Um, and Death's Great Love is one of the daughters of Mao. Chairman Mao. Chair- <laughs> Chairman Mao, Ben, wrote the third part of the message. Yes. But he wrote it later. Yes. Do you think he's a liar? Do you, Michael? I don't know. Do, do you? you think do you he's know? a liar? I don't know. I've I, read the whole series, Michael. I'm, I suspect he might be a liar. Well, we'll find out as we go along, Michael. But we won't spoil for anybody else because you may want to read the rest of it. Overall, Michael, what did you think of it? Because this one was my suggestion. And as I said, I'm going to be very biased today because well, I think on. this is one of my favorite hold comics ever. Hold on a second. Ever. I wasn't done talking about Chairman Mao being Sorry. a liar. Go on. The, the Chinese scenes were very reminiscent of, uh, for example, the movie Hero. With Jet Li? No, not that one. The, oh yeah, with Jet Li, yeah, with Jet Li. the one where the story is told from multiple perspectives. Yes. yes, and there's a very there's a siege of an imperial palace in this that's very reminiscent of that of that, hmm. and there are lots of there there are lots of kind of hidden tiger, crouching dragon, hidden tiger esque things going on. There could be some accusations of Orientalism thrown. Well, then, at this. look, we won't talk about isms too much, but anytime you're including Multiple lots of cultures. different nations yeah. and cultures, you have to boil them down in the early days of the storytelling to matter. Like the Texans are all wearing bloody hats and going, we're bloody Texans. Yeah. Yeehaw, you son of a bitch. I like the uniforms of the British guys. Did you? Yeah, they were kind of like, they had a Captain Britain look to them. Yeah, they do. They have the, the helmets and things like that. That's the Confederacy. I think that's actually uh, the it's southern flag. It's the Confederate flag. flag. It's the Confederate flag. It's Confederate flag. I but thought it looks, they were British guys. It looks, but they do look like redcoats. They do. They're very it, in the style of... But mixed a bit with Captain Britain. Yeah. There's also a very... Uh, there's a there's a certain... There's a certain... The authority vibe to the art. There's a certain... What's his name? Brian Hitchness? Yeah, I, I think... Oddly enough, I think I prefer Nick Dragoda's art for the colour and the movement. I think he's better at plotting a comic. I think his storytelling is more coherent um, right. as he plots a comic. I think when we get to the cinematic moments, it's Brian Hitch to a T. There's a very Brian Hitch panel there. Absolutely. But that's also very Hickman. It's a big techno tower on the horizon. Um I think Nick Dragota, I watched an interview with Nick Dragota where he spoke about his art style and he was heavily influenced by Kirby. Um, All artists say they were heavily influenced by Kirby. No, 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 but he... Every comic book artist was heavily influenced by Kirby. He frequently goes back to learn to draw the Marvel way. Right. um, And he points out that 
if you use that book, it's not Stan Lee's Learn to Draw the Marvel Way. It's Jack Kirby's Learn to Draw the Marvel Stan Way. Stan Lee's on the front of it, but isn't Stan, he? It's, it's called Stan Lee's Learn to Draw the Marvel Way, which is Bloody completely Stan wrong. Stan Lee can't draw. Uh, Stan Lee can't draw for nothing. Um, but when we get to those cinematic elements, it's very Brian Hitch. Overall, I, I adore the art style in this. I think it's really clear, clean. There's a lot of variation in character design. and Well, the characters are all very easy to tell apart, except for the two sisters. Which two sisters? The two Chinese sisters. Oh yeah, those are a little bit more difficult. But I suppose. But I think that's the purpose that's the point, isn't of it? those characters is that they're almost equal, but yeah. they're just not quite. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of level of violence and things like that, at certain points it made me uneasy. There are certain aspects to this. Uh, one example would be when um, the sister crushes her other sister's head in her metallic prosthetic hands yeah well they shouldn't have chopped her arms off they then, shouldn't should have they? chopped her bloody arms off so there's the part right. where there's some very twisted moments with the three horsemen as children um, for example the man thinks he's being saved and they try to tell a joke and he doesn't get the joke so and they, they stamp him to death yeah that's not really um, that's, that's really twisted and then there's some serious body horror elements towards the end of the comic where we reveal that uh, death has the beast of burden he's given his, he's the father to the beast of the apocalypse and you see the little boy in the weird techno shell at the end. Th- that is kind of gross. He wears the helmet. It's very uncomfortable to read. As I said, there is a serious Lovecraftian element going through this. And that only grows as the series progresses. I know I'm not supposed to talk about other ones. But that only grows as the series progresses. Um, Hickman and Dragotto have said that this is probably their favourite project ever to work on together. Even more than the Fantastic Four. Um, well, Dragotto um, has qualms with Marvel regards to the model of how artists come on for four or five issues and then they're taken off and you don't know where you are and what you're doing because he worked with Hickman on Fantastic Four and that's how their relationship came into existence and they've both been running on this project and it's been running since 2013 Michael and it's still going with the same artists um, with the same team. artists and same as you know Hickman ben, I'm and a Vigoda. big fan of that I, I love it I can't get enough I of like artistic. steady artists oh. Um, one of the but best. overall Michael I'm curious what did you think of it because I'm very biased as I said and I thoroughly enjoyed it mm. I will read the rest uh, I was strongly reminded of Brave Star as you previously said I'm not, not letting, letting that, go. that go I'm not letting it go I was initially and fairly obviously reminded of Preacher yes yeah absolutely. because you're looking at a western there's a unbi- I mean he's the, not dissimilar to Jesse Custer in design as well the colour palette shifted but his characterization when he goes into action for death he's very rootin' tootin' well cowboy. also there's a lot of the Saint of Killers in him yeah there's a lot of that as well where he is just death personified and he he wins every fight without breaking a sweat yeah and people are even afraid to say his name now he, I'm not saying Ben that people who like this would like Preacher I don't think they would. They're I think very they're two different, very different things. They're very different tonally. Mm. Although they both have cowboys, mystical cowboy creatures, uh, religion mixed with religious symbolism mixed with Western ideas. But this is a lot less mean than preacher. Yeah, it it doesn't. It's not there to make a point about anything. It's it's a story. I think at the end of the day, it's not a. All stories make a point, Ben. It's not, but it's not rebelling against any kind of God. Doesn't actually get much of a mention in this. Well, no, not in the. He's, it's, anyway. The apocalypse seems to be something that happens outside of religion. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of interesting to see that aspect of it as well. But One, if, if what? Sorry, go on. Go on. No, you go no, ahead. You go on. No, you go ahead. No, you go. You go ahead. No, you do. You go. You do. I was just going to say, in terms of characterization overall, I think that's one of the most interesting things, and I think it sets it apart from Hickman's other work. As you said, this overpowered 
creature mm-hmm. uh, concept exists in a lot of Hickman's work, whereas death is quite human. Um, and many of the other characters are quite human. It's interesting to see how snipey these people can be with each other, how underhanded they can be with each other. It does a great job, I think, of illustrating how messy human entanglements can be. The House of Mao is in disrepair because there's mm. a father who still loves one daughter more than the other, but that one daughter has let down everything that um, he stood for. Because he fell in love with death. Because she fell in love with death and she betrayed everything. And yet he can't love the other sister as much regardless because it will always be his favourite. And then the sister is bitter against this. She's the reason her daughter got her hands cut off mm. or her sister got her hands cut off because she was bitter and decided Did to snatch power. off? Uh, no, um, war does that. No, takes the flaming sword and yep. cuts the hands straight off. But she's the one that betrays her location mm. and makes her lose her baby. Yeah. Um, which is a very bitter, petty action. Then you see someone like, um, oh, I'm not going to remember his name, Archibald, the Confederacy guy. Chamberlain? Chamber- Archibald Chamberlain. Good. Good teamwork there, Michael. Is that right? And he talks his way out of his appointment with death. Yeah. He's a silver tongued devil. He's very he, English. He's very English. He's very a old, real southern old gentleman. South, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's he's the character that you kind of have to keep your eye on. He's a, he's a real worm tongue. He's a real um he's a real what was the name of Littlefinger? Littlefinger? Peter Baelish. Yeah, he's a real Baelish. Um and I really enjoy reading those interactions. I enjoy watching the the racial tension that you see in some of the meetings. Racial tension. Racial tension that you see in some of the meetings. I think the the pride of Native Americans is always there where they look at everyone else as a, a usurper or a trespasser. I think it's interesting to see the tension between Archibald and the kingdom representative mm-hmm. as a black man versus a, a you know, a confederate. I don't remember soldier. a lot about the kingdom, to be honest. Uh, it's not that heavily featured in this. Uh, again, what I love most about East of West, and this is probably very poor for a podcast that's just looking at, at volume one, is that it really is an epic that holds up. It's a sprawling narrative. Well, I haven't bloody read that. That holds up. I know, but you're going to get to it. I'm telling readers why they should keep reading. If you enjoyed volume one, it is probably one of the most consistent ongoing series that I've ever read. Mm. Um, and I really, really love reading it. It always feels like there was always a plan to this it always had an end game in mind and it's, oh, it's a pleasure to read. And it, in terms of world building, I've, I've, I've struggled to come across better than this mm. when it comes to world building. So that's high praise for me. If you enjoyed... Now, hold on. Let me say oh, what I was going to say. Remember when I let you finish? Remember when I let you finish? Now, let me what I was going to say. If what you liked about this was the Western mixed with Christian, biblical, mythological, unstoppable characters... Stuffy. Then you'll probably enjoy Preacher. Yeah. If you, if, if you didn't particularly care for the all the different nations and the science fiction and the, all that stuff, then, yeah, then, then you'll go for Preacher. Yeah. Otherwise, Brave Star. Otherwise, Brave Star or Game of Thrones. If or you're, Game of Thrones. If you're looking for... If you're, if you're a little bit bereft of a yeah. Game of Thrones fix and you want to get into comic books, good place to start. Or even if you're thinking, oh, I really like this kind of sci-fi Western aspect I could do without the mysticism. You can get yourself some Firefly going on there. Yeah, Firefly might work just fine. Yeah, that's a real, that's a real good shout there, Michael. Look, look at if you let me finish a thought every now and then, you son of a, you son of a cowpoke. Saws. <laughs> um, if you did enjoy this and you want to see more things in a similar vein to this, um, Low from Image Comics is an excellent. Never heard of it. Uh, thing. It's about a 
humanity has been pushed underwater uh, due to rising climate temperatures and things like that it's a mm. fascinating little read a lot of techno magic sorcery kind of stuff going yeah. on multiple nations all at once um so i strongly recommend that one uh, any of the classic westerns just just go have a look at a classic western movie and you'll see exactly what inspired all of this if you're looking for something a little bit more in the vein of a comic book east of west um Sheriff of Babylon is an excellent look at something like that. It's a more modern cowboy set in Iraq. Mm. Um, it's an interesting twist on that kind of thing. If you're looking for inevitable cosmic badasses, I didn't really find something that was... Well, I mean, read the Infinity Things by Jonathan Hickman because that's what he bloody likes. Yeah, isn't it? that's his bloody thing. It makes him tick. Yeah, Infinity and tick. Secret Wars. Um, so please let us know what you thought of all of this. We'd yeah, be very do. curious to hear. Please get in touch with us on the Instagram or on the Facebook group and let us know how you felt. Do you like Jonathan Hickman's work? Do you think I, he's like over reliant oh, yeah, on overpowered work? Michael, if you had to take one thing from the comic this week, what would you take from it? I don't know what you mean. If if there's one thing that you liked more than anything else, what did you I really like the character designs. Really? Yes. Is that just because Crow is half naked? I liked Crow. I liked Wolf. I liked Death. I thought Death was a cool white cowboy. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I like the art, Ben. You like the art. Yes, I well, like the art. I thought the art was good and clear and honest. That's good, Michael. I'm I'm currently in the phase of I'm currently having a debate, Michael, as to whether to buy the hardcovers to further support the artist. Ah, even ben. though I have all the paperbacks. You have all the paperbacks, ben. I have Give all the paperbacks, over. but I might buy <laughs> I might buy the hardbacks as well. Um, but yeah that's it from us for this week ladies and gentlemen don't forget to get in touch with us in the various places check out seanrabeug.com s-e-o-m or a-b-e-a-g dot com it means tiny room in Irish uh, it means tiny room in Irish for anything else that you might want to see um, if you have any suggestions for what we could review here on uh, the, the Collecting Issues podcast yeah, you please let us know I was going to say tiny room <laughs> um, please let us know get in touch with us we're always happy to review anything we like we got a good bit of feedback Michael last week on our bloodshot yeah you weren't um, uh, you weren't episode. you weren't ripped to shreds by the Valiant message board I wasn't I thought enough. I would be but I wasn't they were like um, oh yeah he's right actually interestingly bloodshot is about to be relaunched again bloodshot um, reborn again 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 re-reborn um, so we may have to take a look at that when it comes out in a trade paperback volume oh very good um, as a nice little return to things but if you have any thoughts on last week's ep- or two weeks episodes ago let us know that as well <laughs> that's, that's it from us for this week <laughs> bye bye, bye.